Hello, everyone, and welcome. This is Let's Sleep On It, Reclaiming Parenthood, the podcast. And I'm your host, Taylor Kulik, a sleep and well-being specialist and occupational therapist. My mission with this podcast is to examine the parenting narratives that dominate our culture and grow together as parents. Here, we will talk about biological infant sleep, as well as many other parenting-related topics. And you'll also hear real empowering journeys from parents who are parenting against the grain. I hope that you walk away from each episode feeling inspired, empowered, and supported. Please remember that none of the information shared in this podcast is medical advice, and you should always speak with a trusted healthcare provider if you have any concerns. Let's dive into today's episode. Did y'all know that much like we have a gut microbiome, we also have a skin microbiome, which means we have tons of beneficial bacteria on our skin that protect us from pathogens. And did you also know that when you use harsh soaps and chemicals on your body, it can it can kill those bacteria and it can also create other imbalances, pH imbalances, et cetera, within the skin microbiome. So when I learned this information a couple of years ago, I stumbled upon Alivia skincare, and we have been using it exclusively ever since. So Alivia has body cleanser, so it's like a body wash. My entire family uses it, and not only actually do we use it on our skin as body wash, but we also use it for our hair. Like I don't have shampoo for my kids. I use Alivia for my kids. And I love Alivia because not only does it smell amazing, but it's 100% natural and organic. It's non-toxic. It's free of all artificial fragrances and dyes. It's environmentally friendly. And it's not a soap. It is a prebiotic body cleanser. So it actually helps support and nourish that skin microbiome. And it works so well, especially if you have sensitive skin. It can help with eczema, pariasis, body acne, things like that. We love the green tea honeysuckle scent. It smells heavenly. It's so amazing. I usually stock up and get like five bottles at a time so that I can get free shipping. And they last a really long time. Like five or six bottles will last me, my whole family, about a year or so. So you can go to alivia.com. That's A-L-E-A-V-I-A.com and use the code TaylorK15 and that will save you 15% off of all of your Alivia orders. Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. So today I am going to do a much requested, highly requested episode. And basically, I am just going to share um, a little bit more about and in more detail about how we've made specific sleep transitions with our children. Um, Because I'm often, you know, when I get asked questions a lot about how to make certain transitions, and I have webinars and courses that talk about those things. um, But if somebody doesn't have access to those webinars or e-courses, it can be kind of difficult to understand the gist that I'm getting at um, via, for example, a short Instagram post or story. So I wanted to just give you um, a little bit more detail about what that process was like for us. And so this is just going to be our personal experience and um, which transitions were goals for us. You know, you may have different goals, different transitions are going to be priorities for you, but the gist will, um, be similar. Some of the, some of the things will be similar for the transitions. So 
with my um, daughter, who is now four and a half, we I just want to kind of start from the beginning with her um, because she has always been a very difficult sleeper. I thought she was like the worst sleeper in the world until I had my son. Um, but it's been it was a it was a really gradual um, path. And so with her as an infant, she needed a lot of nursing. She needed a lot of rocking. So motion and nursing were what got her to sleep. She was never a baby that could fall asleep drowsy but awake. If you're new here, most babies cannot fall asleep and will not fall asleep drowsy but awake. If your baby can fall asleep drowsy but awake, that's great. Um, there's nothing wrong with with allowing them to do that. I just think it's important for parents to know that many babies are not able to fall asleep drowsy but awake and they do need a bit more support from a caregiver to actually help facilitate sleep and help them fall asleep. And this can be for multiple reasons. It's temperamental. It could be sensory related. Um, but ultimately, I just think that's important to know because we really live in this sleep training world, sleep training culture of people thinking that the gold standard is for your baby to be able to put themselves asleep. And I just think it's so crucial to know that that is not always possible and it's not necessary. Um, so anyways, she needed a lot of emotion and rocking to get to sleep. Um, at some point she stopped falling asleep with nursing, at least at the beginning of the night, I would still nurse her back to sleep once she woke up, but she would just need to be nursed a little bit and then she would have to be rocked all the way to sleep. So my husband kind of took over um, with bedtime for the most part. And then I can't remember the exact timeline of everything, but then the what I remember specifically is around two years old. So she had just turned two. Um, we began to think about, you know, whether we wanted to try to have another baby and she was still bed sharing with us. She, I was still nursing her in the middle of the night. And I told my husband, I cannot try to conceive a baby. And this is just, again, this is my personal experience, my personal preferences. I told him I cannot fathom trying to conceive right now and being pregnant and still needing to nurse her in the all like in the middle of the night and bed share with her because I know that our baby will probably be bed sharing and I don't feel comfortable like I don't want to have to have two babies in my bed bed sharing waking each other up I'm not saying that can't be done again just remember I'm sharing my own personal perspective and opinion um I'm not saying that's wrong. It's just something that was important to me. I have to give all these disclaimer, disclaimers because otherwise I'll have people emailing me saying, well, we did it this way and, you know, it was fine. Well, that's great. That's not what I'm talking about. Um, so anyways, so it was a priority of ours to get her into her own bed and night wean. Um, now, our goal was not to have her sleeping independently. Our goal was to have my husband, Andy, sleeping with her that would have been fine for us. Um, we weren't looking to get away from bed sharing totally. Um, we were just kind of taking it in more incremental, gradual steps. And so the first step was for Andy to take over nighttime support and get her into her own floor bed in her own bedroom with Andy there as needed. Um, that way I can have, I can support the new baby at night. So, um, we did that both at once, both at one, at one time we kind of tried to tackle night weaning and um, the transition to her floor bed in her own room. Um, that's not always the best choice for everybody. That's just what we did at the time. It kind of just seemed um, like it would take way too long and be too hard to do it like one at a time and then the other. Um, and so that's what we decided to do. 
And it still took a while because we went very slowly and gradually. And so the first step was to make sure that my daughter was comfortable with Andy doing her bedtime routine and putting her to sleep. And so we first got him really involved in the bedtime routine, which he hadn't previously been super involved in the bedtime routine. And initially she screamed and cried and told him, go away. And we just held that boundary and supported her emotion. And I was there initially. And then I kind of backed away, like as she got used to it. Um, and after she was used to him doing the bedtime routine and she was okay with that, then he started putting her to sleep initially um, for the evening. So he would rock her to sleep. Um, and again, she was two at this time and she still needed a lot of rocking because she is a very um, – she needs a lot of that sensory input to calm her down. So I remember um, – I distinctly remember the first time that – the first few weeks of trying to put her to sleep, of Andy trying to put her to sleep in the evening. Um which now I'm thinking back, I guess I had said that he had been rocking her to sleep, but I guess he hadn't. I think that maybe when I would just get tired of rocking her to sleep, like it was just taking too long because we had a lot of sleep issues at that point. I, I was just finishing up my sleep certification program. I hadn't really um, – we just had some issues. And so then at two years old is when we really started working through a lot of those issues with my knowledge. So um, he would just kind of pop in and like rock her and give me a break. But I think ultimately I was the one until she was two, until we made this change, I was the one primarily putting her to sleep. Um, it's hard. It's amazing how fast you lose your memories. <laughs> it was only like two and a half years ago and I'm just struggling to remember the details. Um, but the, in the first couple of days and couple of weeks that he initially tried to put her to sleep, I remember specifically she was screaming and crying because she did not want him. Um, and now my husband is very good at – pretty good at supporting emotion and staying calm. So that's a big piece of this is there's nothing wrong with her screaming and crying um, when she is supported by a loving and calm caregiver. And she was because my husband was able to do that. We had talked a lot about what what we might what he might expect. We had talked a lot about how he should support her, um, any concerns that he had, and he he was doing pretty well with it. And so the first few nights, maybe the first, maybe the first week or two, she would cry and she wants mommy. Um, and so this was like right after the bedtime routine was done as he's trying to put her to sleep. Um and it was rough. And so it would take a little bit longer than normal because she was crying. And sometimes I would go in, like this is where, you know, intuition, I always say, there's no rules here. There's no timeline rules because a common question that I get is, well, how do you know how long to let this go on? Like if your child is screaming because daddy is trying to support them, how long do you let this go on? Well, there's no timeline rules because it depends on so many factors. It depends on the temperament of your child. Do you feel like they're really, really stressed and you actually need to intervene? Or are they just upset? They're genuinely upset and they're, their upset is valid because of this new pattern. Also, the ability of the parent who is supporting to stay regulated and calm. If you have a If you are a parent who can stay relatively calm for an hour or two hours of lots of emotion and you've prepared yourself mentally and you can just stay like like very calm, then you can go as long as you feel comfortable going. Um, alternatively, if you are a parent who is very triggered by emotion and you really struggle with it and you find yourself getting very um, overwhelmed, anxious, maybe you're starting to not be calm and you're starting to like be activated, then it's not going to likely work very well if you continue to try to support your child in that dysregulated state. Because 
a child relies on a caregiver to help them co-regulate. And you cannot co-regulate with a child if you are very, very dysregulated yourself. And that can actually intensify it. And so there's a lot of things to consider here. Um, What I always tell parents is you have to follow your intuition because if something isn't feeling right to you, then you should stop what you're doing and you should go do something that feels right. Um, And so for me, for the most part, I was fine with her crying and screaming because I understand that that emotion is okay. And she wasn't like, hyperventilating or vomiting or anything like that. Um, She was just upset and she was having a big emotional release. And sometimes it did last 45 minutes or an hour and my husband was calm. Um, Now, on the flip side of that, there have been times where I'll get more into the transition, but there have been times where in the middle of the night, as we're still working on this transition, my husband was was calming her, trying to calm her after a night wake. um, And I would wake up because our, the bedrooms were close and I could hear, and I could hear her screaming. Um, and at that point, like it became too much for me after a while. And I had to go in and nurse her. And that's because I was listening to my intuition and my intuition was telling me that right now she needs me right now. Even my husband is feeling a little bit more, a little bit dysregulated. Like I could tell in the tone of his voice. And so I went and went in and nursed her. Um, so you just have to follow your intuition and how is everybody doing? Because there's nothing wrong with that supported emotion. But if the emotion can't be supported ideally, or if it seems to, if it's really telling your intuition is saying, this isn't right, this isn't working, this isn't, this isn't good, then you need to listen to that. Okay. So again, I distinctly remember these nights of her just yelling and yelling and yelling for mommy um, when, when dad would try to put her to sleep. And then at some point it just changed. And I don't remember exactly how long that took. I would say it wasn't more than two or three weeks. But at some point, she was just fine with him putting her to sleep. She was fine with him doing bedtime. She had adapted to that new boundary. Um, and actually, after that, it became so it became um, such a regular part of the routine. And she was so she was so fine with daddy putting her to bed that if I needed to put her to sleep for some reason then she would have that emotion with me because that's just how kids are. That's not something, you know, you can't always avoid that. You can't always avoid that, especially if you have um, certain patterns that you're doing very regularly, like a certain caregiver putting a child to sleep and then you're switching it off. So, um, and that's okay. Her emotion is valid and I support that emotion and Andy supported her emotion and we got her through it. She got through it. She adapted her brain rewired to accept that new boundary. So then she was okay with that. So after we had mastered him putting her to sleep. Then we started working on shifting her to her bed, which we did a lot of preparation. So we got her a new bed. She was excited about it. We made it this really exciting thing. She picked out some um, some sheets, some like a blanket. Um, we played in it a lot during the day. We did a lot of storytelling and communication about what to expect. Um, and then we, and then we did the first night in the bed and Andy slept with her. Andy was fully prepared to sleep with her all night. Um, we weren't even thinking at that point about how Andy would transition out of her bed because that wasn't a priority to us. And we started the night weaning process at that point. Um, and so how that what that looked like basically is that every time she woke, like especially the first couple of weeks of the night, Andy would try to calm her. And this was probably the toughest part because emo- supporting emotion in the middle of the night is always tough. Um, you're tired. Everything's louder, 
right? So, and I heard most of what was going on. So it's not like I even got a break to like sleep because our bedrooms were right, ne- were right next to each other. Um, and so this is when there was a lot of emotion. And again, Andy would just support her through it. He would, he was attuned to her. He would try to rock her if she wanted that. Um, if she didn't, he would just sit and kind of hold space for her emotions. I know you want mommy. Mommy's not here. Mommy's not coming right now. Or you, I don't remember exactly what he would say. Um, but you know, daddy's here to support you right now. I'm here. Um, and again, like I said earlier, there were some time, some nights where I would go in and nurse her or he would even bring her to me if his intuition was telling him I, this isn't right and where he was feeling dysregulated and saying, I just can't, I can't do this anymore. Then he would bring her to me and I would nurse her. So it wasn't like a, you know, day one, we're done nursing. Um, we still nursed a little bit. It was a much slower transition than that, but it was practicing. We were, he was practicing supporting her with the early wakes. And then halfway through the night, you know, if she, if she woke then, and he was tired and he didn't want to support that emotion or didn't feel well equipped to support that emotion, he would bring her to me. Um, and that worked for us. And then it, we just kind of continued to build on that. And I like to think of shifting these patterns as more of um, exploring and experimenting and practicing. Because if you're not doing those things, exploring and exper- experimenting and practicing, then you're um, it, it takes – what I'm trying to say is it takes a while. It's not something that is just going to happen overnight and poof, your child's going to be fine with the new change. It's something that you have to kind of – um, implement in small pieces, small components, and then build on that as your child's comfort level builds. You're helping them to know this is a new thing. It is safe. You're safe. You're being taken care of. It's okay. And you're building on that and increasing the amount of time or increasing the amount of weeks that the new pattern is happening dur- during. So Eventually, and this probably took a, like a couple of months, maybe maybe two or three months to like really feel like we had we had it down. And for the most part, Andy was supporting her all night long in in her bed. Um, and then even after that point, there were still some random nights here or there where it was just a little bit too much, and we felt like she really needed me, and so I would nurse her. And particularly, I remember one time because at this point, I had got I was pregnant. We had we had conceived, and I was pregnant because things were going well with the with the sleep situation. Um, but she was really sick. And so, um, I remember there was one night she was really sick and not feeling well and she could not sleep and she really just wanted to nurse. And so I nursed her and she slept in bed with me for a couple of nights while she was sick because she needed that. She needed that. And it's okay to offer our children more support than they've been having when they have increased needs because their needs aren't linear. Um, Okay, so that's her. And let me let me talk a little bit more about what transition they transitions they made after that. So my husband um, was getting to the point where he couldn't rock her for as long as, as he was because she was getting heavier, and um, so he couldn't rock her anymore. And he needed to make that change. So he began slowly implementing these times of like he would start nursing her, and then he would stop and he would pause. Um, and see how she responded. And then he would rock her again if he needed to. Um, but so it, it's, again, this this gradual incorporation of new patterns, new rhythms, um, while still hold, while still keeping the old ones, um, allowing the child to get comfortable with it. And then um, setting limits, setting boundaries as needed. So another thing that he would do sometimes was, is, you know, telling her as she got a little bit older, telling her, I'm going to rock you in the rocking chair today um, for five minutes. And then we're going to go lay in bed and snuggle. 
the rest of the way to sleep. And that would work for her. That began to work for her after some initial tough emotion, tough times of emotion. Um, and so he would rock her a little bit and then support her to sleep, the support her to sleep by cuddling. And so it was just setting new boundaries, dealing with the emotion that comes up regarding those boundaries and holding space for those emotions because it takes the child to get through the emotion in order to, for them to be able to process the new boundary and adapt to the new boundary. So you will usually see with children that they may have big emotions initially as a new boundary is set in place, a new pattern is happening. But if you just allow them to get through the emotion without focus on stopping the emotion or redirecting it, then you will find that over time, most likely, that the link, the duration and the intensity of the emotion will begin to decrease. But you have to let them get through it. So that's kind of where we were at with her. My husband continued to mostly co-sleep with her. Um, he did work on getting out of the bed and he can get like he did get out of the bed for a while. Um, but then once our son was born, he was a horrible sleeper because of some oral ties and some breathing issues and things like that. Um, so he, my husband just ended up going back and sleeping with my daughter because he got more sleep that way and it just worked out better for us. Um, and he allowed, you know, it allowed him to get some rest so that he could take over for me in the early morning hours and get, let me get a few hours of sleep before he went to work. So, um, at this time they co-sleep together because it just works out for all of us. Fast forward to my son. Um, so he is now 18 months and he's, who initially was an even more challenging um, sleeper than my daughter, which I'm not going to get into the details of those early days um, because it was more focused, it was more related to the medical stuff that was going on. Um, but I did talk a little bit about that in one of my first episodes. I think it might have been my first episode of season one. Um, but I will just say that, you know, within the last. So up to maybe three or four months, maybe two or three months ago, something like that, up until he was like 14 or 15 months, 16 months maybe, um, I was primarily always nursing him and rocking him to sleep. And he also reached an age where he stopped nursing to sleep initially most of the time and he would still fall back asleep nursing in the middle of the night once he woke. But initially to get him to sleep, he needed nursing and then rocking too. And he would need to fall asleep rocking. My kids need lots of motion to get to sleep. So at some point recently, he began – and that was working for us. Like it was going fine. He was – I would consider him to be a pretty easy sleeper at that point. Um, like I, he would usually fall asleep within 15 minutes of me nursing him and then rocking him. And it was it was fine. But at some point, he began to um, really be – he was just fighting sleep with me. And he was – it would take me sometimes 45 minutes or an hour to get him to sleep even though I knew he was tired because he wanted to go back and forth between each breast and he wanted to lay down and then stand up and rock and then lay down and nurse and stand up and rock. And he was just going back and forth and almost kind of playing games. And um, it just became a difficult situation. And I told Andy, I think this is – I think we had kind of had that same scenario with with my daughter which is when we decided to transition her. Um, but I told Andy at this point, I think we need to do that same thing where we start working on you putting the baby to sleep and I will start to put the toddler to sleep. Um, and so 
that's what we started working on. And I knew that it might take a while. It might take a few weeks for, for our son to get comfortable with him. Um, and so we just communicated with him. You know, we didn't do a whole lot of prep work. We just got him more involved in the bedtime routine. So um, my husband started making sure to get him ready for bed and and all of that. And then um, we told him, daddy's going to rock you to sleep tonight. I nursed him right before. And then he went in and he screamed and cried a lot for probably 20 or 30 minutes the first night. But again, you know, it's hard to hear. I'm not going to say that it's not hard to hear your child upset like that. But that it's okay. It's okay when they're upset. They have a right to be upset. And what's important is how we are supporting them through their emotions. So my husband did great. He supported him. I knew he was in good hands. So I let him do it as long as he felt comfortable. And he eventually got to sleep within probably 45 minutes the first night, which was pretty good, I thought, for the first night. The second night, I think he cried for about five minutes in my husband's arms. And then he let my husband rock him, rock him to sleep. And he was asleep within 20 minutes. So it only really took about two nights of, of any crying. Um, and again, this is crying in arms. I am in no way advocating for cry it out here. There is a huge difference between supporting your child through their emotion and setting boundaries that are needed for your own health and wellness um, than, than letting a child cry alone in their bedroom and thinking that they'll work through their emotions on their own because they won't. In this case, my husband is co-regulating with him. So by the third night, um, he I said goodnight to him and he gave me the biggest frowny face. Like it was very sad. But he didn't cry and he went with daddy and he went, he was asleep in 15 minutes. And since then, it's been super easy. They just they have it down. It took it took basically two nights of some crying. Um now my daughter was also very upset because she's been used to daddy putting her to sleep. Daddy usually did her bedtime and I did her brother's bedtime. Um, and she was very upset because she wanted him to put her to sleep still. She didn't want me to put her to sleep. And so we worked through that emotion. I supported her through that emotion. I sat there. I held space for her. I empathized with her, validated it. I mean, it's totally reasonable to be sad when you want one parent to put you to sleep and you want to spend time with one parent um, and not the other. That's that's valid. So she also had maybe two or three nights of some emotional release of, you know, she wanted daddy to put her to sleep. Um, and then that, that stopped and now she's mostly fine with it. And sometimes, and so we've been doing this for probably two months, maybe a little bit less at the time of this recording, not at the time of publication. Um, so occasionally she'll still kind of say, oh, I want daddy to put me to sleep tonight. Um, but nothing big, no big emotional release, just a little bit of sadness and then she's fine. And so I think what I want people to get the most out of this is that, you know, there is a difference. One, there is a difference between crying it out and supporting your child through their emotions. One is respectful of their emotions and one is not. Um, and two, you know, I, I hear from a lot of parents that say, well, how do I get my husband involved and to put my baby to sleep because it just it doesn't work. They just yell the whole time. And I would my my response to that is usually, well, what does it mean to you to work? What is your definition of work? Because if you're expecting it to go totally smooth and there's no emotion and your child is just totally fine with it from day one, that's why you're disappointed in the results and that's why you think it's not working. 
that's not really very realistic for most babies. For easygoing babies, that might be that might happen. Um, but if your child is not very easygoing, if they're not super duper adaptable, it might be a little bit, a little bit uh, rougher, a rougher transition, and that's normal. And that doesn't mean that you can't make the transition. Um, so there's a lot of things to keep in mind there, but. If you just accept that the emotion is going to happen and prepare yourself and whatever caregiver is supporting your baby or child, um, prepare them that – prepare them for that emotion and to hold space for that emotion and to try to stay calm through it and know that it's not a reflection on your parenting. It's not causing harm to your child for them to be crying um, or upset because, again, they're being supported and co-regulated with. Um, if you just can get through it, then you'll, you'll usually find that it gets easier from there. But I think that's the toughest part is that parents don't feel like they can get through it. And that's valid too. And again, this is where your intuition comes into play. Sometimes there's other things going on and you can't get through it and you shouldn't push through it when it's feeling bad to you, when it's telling your intuition this isn't right, okay, when your child is like hyperventilating or throwing up or something like that, that's a sign that there might be a sensory issue that needs to be addressed first, okay? So it's hard for me to cover all of the nuances of every topic when I'm talking about things like this. Um, And right now I just want to share my personal experience, but I I need y'all to know that you also have to use your intuition and your common sense to tell you whether – when it's happening with you and your child, whether it is okay or not, because I can't answer those questions for you specifically because I'm not there with you and I'm not, I don't know your child and I don't know you. Um, and that's really it. That's really all, that's what we've done with our kids, like in a very small condensed nutshell. Um, I still bed share with my son. So Andy puts him to sleep super easily. And it's been great by the way, because we do bedtime at the same time. And, um, I, Actually, with my daughter, I just read her a story, and now we're at the point where after years of working gradually through transitions, we're at the point where she just falls asleep. She doesn't want to be snuggled. She doesn't want to be touched. She doesn't want to be rocked. She just falls asleep, and now I'm at the point where I don't have to stay with her. Like I will sometimes just stay with her for a couple of minutes, sometimes longer if I want to, but a minute or two, and I tell her that. I tell her I'm going to stay with you for – two minutes and then I'm going to leave the room as you go to sleep. And then I do, I leave and then she's, she goes to sleep by herself. So it amazes me, honestly, like thinking about where we were, you know, even three years ago, um, with her sleep, it amazes me knowing that without any sleep training, um, she's sleeping basically by herself now. Um, and that just goes to show that you don't really have to do anything for the most part. You certainly can make small transitions if you feel like you need to, but you really don't have to do anything because in their time, they will sleep by themselves. With my son, so it's nice because I, she's asleep, you know, I'm out of her room within 15 minutes and my husband's usually out of the my son's room within 15 or 20 minutes. And then we have the evening together or to do things, whereas we haven't had that in the past because of like, we've just had other issues with bedtime and it just wasn't working well for us. And sometimes it was taking me forever to get our son to sleep and it was stressful. And so now it's just been so nice actually. And I'm so grateful that we made that change. Um, and, but I, then when, when my son wakes, we'll go, I'll go back in there and I'll nurse him to sleep. Um, and then I sleep with him in the same bed as him right now. So that is, 
that's it. That's our transitions in a nutshell. I hope that was helpful to helpful to you guys. I've been asked quite a few times to expand on how we did that. Um, and that's how. If you would like more tips, more strategies um, in general to walk through transitions that are important to you or to reach your goals that are priorities to you. I cover this in both of my comprehensive infant e-courses, but way more in depth and way more general, like not just talking about my specific personal transitions with my children. Um, but I cover this in my e in my e-courses. And then I also do a transitioning to bed and crib webinar pretty much every other month. I try to do it because it's one of my most popular ones. Um, and let's see, this will be, I don't know when this one will be airing, but we'll probably have one in February and one in May of 2022. So just be on the lookout for those if you want to um, join those because I go way more into depth about prep tips for preparation um, and things like that. So thank you guys so much for listening. I hope that was helpful. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please subscribe and leave a review if you feel called to. It really helps our message reach more parents. You can also follow me on Instagram at Taylor Kulik for similar content or visit my website at www.taylorkulik.com. I offer online courses where we really dive into infant and toddler sleep holistically. And we also offer one-to-one -one holistic sleep support services if you're looking to improve your child's sleep or shift patterns without sleep training. If you know a parent who would benefit from this podcast, please share. And if you'd like to financially support this podcast to allow me to create more episodes more often, you can visit anchor.fm slash Taylor I hope you'll join me next time.